I just mentioned briefly in the message today, I said, I, here's what I said. Uh, you know, talking about in, in Matthew 9.35, where Jesus, one of Jesus' ministries was healing and um, every sickness and every disease among the people. And I just kind of briefly said that those, those signs were there to kind of prove that Jesus was the Messiah. And we, we saw that all through Matthew 8 and 9. All of those miracles that happened there showed that Jesus is the Messiah, shows his authority, his authority shows his personhood and, and who he is and that he, he really is who he claimed to be, the Messiah, God the Son incarnate, um, God the Son in human flesh. And, um, and then I said that, that once that had kind of been accomplished and Jesus was known as the Messiah, he also handed those miraculous powers onto his disciples, which we see in Matthew 10 verse 1. Uh, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And of course, in the, um, in the book of Acts, you see that that, that same power and authority is, is given to the disciples and they are doing miracles, signs and wonders. And even Paul says that, um, you, you need to be able to do signs and wonders to kind of prove that you're an apostle. And that's in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll, we'll look at that in a minute. But anyways, I, I just said kind of briefly that, that once, once those men had kind of been authenticated as true messengers of God, the, those gifts ceased and we don't see them again. Um, I think I said that if you, if you would just kind of read through the book of Acts, you would see that those signs and wonders are, have already started to wane by the time you get to the end of the, of the book of Acts. Um, but this whole thing about what, what we call cessationism, there's, there's continuationism and there's cessationism. Continuationism is the belief that those spiritual gifts, those supernatural spiritual gifts, which, which I like to kind of put into three categories. There's the gift of tongues. There's the gift of healings and usually signs and wonders kind of go together with those. Um, and there's the gift of prophecy. And then there might be even another kind of a, a gift that, that we would call, it's kind of like a gift and an office. It's the gift of of apostleship and the office of an apostle and an apostle ended up being one with all of those gifts. An apostle was somebody who could do signs and wonders. They also were able to prophesy, which is how we have scripture. They wrote the scriptures and they all spoke in tongues in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues. So the gift of apostleship kind of includes all of those gifts. Now the... So there's, there's continuationism that those gifts have continued. And then there's cessationism, which holds that those gifts have ceased. And I, again, in the sermon today, I said that those gifts had ceased. Now, when we come to this doctrine, there's a, a difficulty. And, um, the difficulty has to do with the, the, the timing of the New Testament. Because there's not a verse that I can go to that, that's just going to like say that the gift ceased. And so a lot of times continuationists will say, well, like, how, you know, how, show me a verse where the gift ceased. And you know what? I, I can show you maybe kind of one, but I can't really show you any, um, because all of the New Testament letters, if you think about it, when were they written? They were written when those gifts were active. And they were written to people that were seeing and using and, and, and kind of participating in those gifts. And so there's no, there's no promise that, that those gifts are going to cease. There's no, there's no kind of, Jesus never said, I'm going to give you these gifts, but once, once you're kind of done with them, you're not going to see them anymore. Um, and so there, there's no way to kind of go to that. But at, at the same time, on the other hand, there's, there is no verse that says they're going to continue endlessly either. And so I think it's kind of important to know both sides of that. There's, there's no real, um, verse that says they've, they've ceased and there's no verse that says they're going to continue 
all the way to the end of the age. So because all the letters of the New Testament were written at a time when those gifts were happening, the apostles who wrote the New Testament just address uh, the people they just address them as, as, as though those gifts are happening because they are happening at that time. Now, if there is one verse that I think is the, the, the best case here for the cessation of the gifts, it's Hebrews chapter two. So let's, and, and, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give, um, about four or, yeah, I think one, two, three, one, two, three, four. I'm going to give four kind of lines of argument for why I believe the gifts have ceased. So the first one is just from this text here, Hebrews chapter 2. Okay, Hebrews 2, I'll just start reading at verse 1, but it's really verse 4 we want to look at there. So Hebrews 2, 1, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received the just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. So what you see here is kind of a, a, a line of people. The, the first kind of beginning of this thing, it was, it was declared first by the Lord. So the, the argument here is that, that our, our salvation is a greater salvation than what was given in the Old Covenant. The, the Old Covenant is the message that was declared by angels. And so scripture talks about how somehow angels mediated the um, the old covenant between um, between the people of Israel and Moses, and there was some kind of angelic involvement, and uh, and if that message was reliable, then how much more reliable is the message that we have? And this message was first declared by the Lord, and then it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. So this actually, I, I, I almost wish I had a, does anyone have a New American Standard Bible? Like just right here, right now, that they can, I, I don't have my phone even, I left my phone at home. Um, the New American Standard Bible makes it even a little bit clearer that, that what's happening there is that um, it was first declared by the Lord and then there's, it was attested to us by those who heard. So there's this group of people that heard the Lord. And those people that heard the Lord were also doing signs and wonders and various miracles by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the, the us there who, who heard, the us there who, to whom it was attested, it's, it would seem from that verse, and it, it, again, it comes out a little bit clearer by the word order that, that you have in the, the, um, in the NASB, but it, it, it's, I think it's clear in the original too that, um, these gifts and miracles were only, were only done by those who heard the Lord. So the people that heard the people who heard the Lord, they themselves aren't doing signs and wonders, but the, the word that they heard was attested to with signs and wonders. So you kind of follow that the chain there? The Lord did signs and wonders. He declared the message to the apostles who did signs and wonders. The people in the book of Hebrews heard the gospel from those who did signs and wonders, but we don't see them doing signs and wonders. And so I think that's one of the, the best passages of Scripture that, that kind of shows that those miracles weren't happening. Now, if we go to kind of just to, to kind of go along with this, um, let's go to let's start. Let's go to Second Timothy four because that's just going to be just back a page here. Second Timothy. Actually, you know what? Before we go to Second Timothy, go to Acts nineteen eleven. Wow. 
Acts 19, the, the title of this section in my Bible is Paul in Ephesus. So Paul is in Ephesus. And in verse 11, it says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So there's, there's kind of these extraordinary miracles happening um, through Paul. And if I remember right, this is probably... Um, the book of, Ephes- uh, of Ephesians was written about 61 AD. So this, this is, I think, even before, before that. So, so, and, and I think it was, um, so I think that this, this situation here happened around 50, 52 AD. Although I, I can't be 100% sure of the exact timing on that, just, just kind of on the top of my head here. But 51 AD, let's just say it is 51 AD. Paul's doing such extraordinary miracles that even a handkerchief that he touches is healing people. And they're, they're taking these handkerchiefs that Paul touched and they're just taking them around town and healing everyone in town. That's just amazing to think about what's happening. But now let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. And this is going to be about 67, 68 AD. So we're talking like 17, 18 years later. Um, close to the, the, or even maybe even after the, the close of the book of Acts. And in 2 Timothy 4.20, it says, it says, Erastus remained at Corinth. I left uh, Trophimus, Tro- I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. Uh, Eubulus sends his greeting. But, but notice there, there's, Trophimus is, Paul left him because he was sick at Miletus. And even in 1 Timothy, um, and I don't know if I could, if I can remember the exact verse, but, um, Paul tells Timothy there to drink a little bit of wine for the sake of his stomach, right? So 51, 52 AD, any, any napkin Paul touches is healing people and they're, they're taking them around town and healing everyone in town. But but later on in Paul's ministry, he's telling Timothy, "You need to drink a little bit of wine because his stomach's not good, and and he's and he can't even he can't even have Trophimus with him because he's sick at Miletus." And so again, that kind of comes into the timing of the New Testament. The Book of Hebrews as well is written a little bit later in in church history. You know, scholars kind of debate when it was written, but I think it's it's. Um, I think it's very clear that Hebrews had to be written before 70 AD. And we've been reading through the book of Hebrews. Remember, he's talking about all the things that happened in the temple as though they're still happening today at the time when it was written. And the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. So Hebrews is probably written around 67, 68 AD, probably around the same time as 2 Timothy. And But again, there is some debate on that. Um, but any debate would end up putting it later after the destruction of the temple. So the book of Hebrews is one of the later books in the New Testament. Second Timothy is one of the later books in the New Testament. And we see that the, the kinds of miracles that were happening don't seem to be happening anymore. So that's kind of the, the best exegetical argument that, that a guy can give on the cessation of the gifts. Uh, although, this this next argument, and I'm going to just put these in a different order here. Um, the next argument that I want to make is an argument from the nature of the gifts. So I think so. First, first argument there is kind of my my best cha- my best effort at an exegetical argument. This this kind of borders on an exegetical argument too. So we wh- I think one of the easiest ways to do this is just to talk about. What are the spiritual gifts? And, um, I like to start with prophecy. So let's, let's start with, let, give me the, give me the meme here. Lauren said, Lauren just, I just mentioned prophecy and Lauren just a meme popped into his head. So I don't know if you can see it there. The girl says prophecy and he kind of turns back and says, so what's your spiritual gifts? Do you? And then he looks at her like, what? You just prophesied. 
I didn't, I didn't, it took me a while to get it too at first. So you see that she says it before he asks what her spiritual gifts are because he knew she was, she, there you go. <laughs> that's about, that's about how it was with me too. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Anyway, there, that's, uh, that was the entertaining portion of the night. So hopefully you can keep going for the rest of the, the night with me. So let's, let's talk about, and I like to start with prophecy. What is the gift of prophecy? The gift of prophecy is a, a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that, that oversaw the prophet in such a way that what he wrote is what God exactly wanted him to write. So when, 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 when prophecy is happening, the, the Holy Spirit is working through the prophet so that even though the prophet writes according to his own language and his own vocabulary and, and, and his own personality even, what ultimately ends up coming out is exactly what God wanted. And, and so the, the nature of prophecy is why we trust our Bibles. Because it was, it was what God wanted that we could say that all scripture is breathed by God. The ultimate, the ultimate source of scripture is God himself. Even though he wrote through Peter and Moses and all these people, ultimately it's God's word, not the prophet's word. It's, it's the prophet's word and it's God's word. And there's a bit of mystery in there, but scripture is very clear that ultimately it's God's word. And I think, you know, where I, where I like to go to just show that really quick is in Peter and, uh, second Peter false teaching, um, second Peter, I just go to the end there. One chapter one, verse 21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's not man's will. It's not man that does it, but it is the men who spoke, but they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so that, that from God there, God is the ultimate source of scripture. So when Peter wrote his, his letter here in 2 Peter, what he wrote, he was, he was carried along by the Holy Spirit so that what he wrote is God's word, right? We talk about scripture as God's word. Um, that's the nature of prophecy. Now, once we have that in mind, then what we can do is we can, we can look at what's going on today. And let's look at the prophecy that happens today in the world and all of the, the prophets in the charismatic movement will admit that they get prophecy wrong. That they, and sometimes they'll, you'll even catch them saying something like Bill, you know, Bill Johnson or something will say like, well, the very best prophets are 50% accurate. Um, the, the very best prophets, you know, get it, get it wrong from time to time. And so what have we done there? We, what we've done is we've, we've changed the definition of prophecy. The reason I trust my Bible is because prophecy is prophecy and God wrote scripture. But if, if there's supposed prophets that are speaking and they're not speaking the word of God exactly as God would have it, if they're getting things wrong, that, that's not prophecy. So that's, it's, it's not, it's not really, prophecy's not happening today. If prophecy was happening today, um, there would be people who would, who would be able to accurately predict things or tell us the word of God. Um, they would be able to tell us the word of God, uh, in a perfect way. And that's why like Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18 in the Old Testament says, if there's any prophet amongst you that, that prophesies and never gets something wrong, you don't listen to that person. In fact, instead what you do is you, you put that person to death because they are leading you away from the Lord. Now, now we're not called to put these false prophets to death today, but that, but God is so sure that his prophets are going to get it right that he will say, if somebody gets it wrong, you put that guy to death because there's no chance that if he is one of my prophets, he would ever get it wrong. Um, and that's just as an aside why, why you should never say like the Lord told me to do something. Um, the, the Lord didn't tell you to do something. You're, you're not a prophet. Maybe you're feeling guided by the Lord to do something, but, um, but we should be very careful about saying the Lord told me something. So nature of prophecy, we understand what it is. We look at what's going on today. 
prophecy is not happening today. What does that mean? It means it ceased. Well, let's look at the, the, the next one. Signs, wonders, miracles. We saw Jesus' signs, wonders, and miracles and healings. Every one of them was a perfect, full restoration. Um, it was undeniable that, that, that Jesus had done this thing. Even his enemies couldn't deny that he did the miracles, that he cast out demons. And, um, and, and so, um, and so that's kind of the nature of the, of those supernatural gifts. And, and let's just, let's go to 2 Corinthians 12 and just kind of see, see what's going on there. Second Corinthians 12. I just wanted to look at verse 11 and 12. Paul says there, uh, I have been a fool. And he's just, he's just been telling them, he's just been defending his ministry by telling them all the, all the great things that, that he's done and all the, the sufferings that he's gone through. Um, so he, he, he said at the beginning, I was, I'm going to enter into some folly and kind of defend myself and boast about myself. And then in verse 11 now, he says, I've been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So to be an apostle, you had to, to be able to do the signs of an apostle. And, and those were signs and wonders, mighty works, and that would have included healings and, and things like that. All the things that, that are recorded that Paul had done. Well, um, again, supernatural, undeniable miracles and, and, um, and, and things like the whole town being healed. Jesus healed the whole town. Paul's napkins are going around healing the whole town. Um, and so that's a, that's an amazing, um, thing that, that he was doing. And, uh, and if we look at what's going on today in this, in the kind of signs and wonders and healing movements, you don't see anything like that. You don't, you don't see anyone clearing out a hospital. You don't see anyone clearing out the town of, and healing all kinds of sicknesses. Um, you know, again, Jesus healed every sickness and every disease. But what you see in the, you know, and, and if you ever listen to like Justin Peters or something, Justin Peters was in a wheelchair. He was going to all these Benny Hinn conferences. They were leaving all the wheelchair people in the back where the, the camera wouldn't be. And they're healing people's back pains and all kinds of silly things like that. They're, they're, they're not the kinds of healings that you see, um, today. So, um, so again, compare the, the supernatural gifts, what we see in the New Testament, compare them with what's happening today. It's just not happening. And the same thing with the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues was a, a, a language and, and I, even the, the word tongues should, should probably be just translated language, right? We, we talk about the gift of tongues. The, the word tongues in language is the same word in Greek. And so whenever you see that word tongues, just think language. And I think it's more helpful. But uh, the gift of tongues was just the, an ability to speak in another language and to do it um, without having learned that language before. The Holy Spirit came on the apostles. All of a sudden, they're speaking in languages that they had never learned before. And uh, and they're speaking those languages perfectly. And everyone's amazed, saying, how do you speak not only the language, but even like my dialect? You know, even just like if I could speak in perfect Southern English dialect right now, it would be like a remarkable thing. But then even like imagine if I could, if I was like a Hindu, and then I could speak in perfect Southern dialect, you would be pretty amazed too, right? You know, most, because I, because I, you know, I'm not going to try to give my best Hindu accent right now, but, uh, that's kind of what the gift of tongues was. And it was meant to be a sign to the Jews that, that God's word is going forth in, uh, in these, in these languages. And it's, it's almost like a judgment on Israel because they don't, um, because the, the, the word of God's not coming to them. It's coming to these other people in these other languages. Well, if you, if you just take the, the gift of tongues and understand it as a, a true language, and then you look at the gift of tongues today and, and linguists have done this. They've studied the so-called gift of tongues 
And they've said, that's not any language in the world. Like there's certain things about languages that are, that linguists can understand and study. And, and the, the, the gift of tongues is not real languages. You can't, you can't take somebody who speaks in tongues to India and everyone in India understands them. Now, of course, every time you hear a story, and, and, and I'm sure you could relate to this, every time you hear a story about prophecy, um, healings, or the gift of tongues, is always some guy in some bush in Africa did something that's totally unverifiable and nobody knows about it, but, you know, who are you to deny that that thing happened in the bush in Africa? Well, um, there's really nothing you can say to somebody who's going to tell you that. But I would just say, like, what happened in the New Testament time was was very well known, very well documented. All the Christians understood it, and 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 it was it was just there and happening. Now, another thing that will often come up at this point is is people will say, "Yeah, well, you it's just because you don't have no faith. Um, that's why it's not happening. It, it happens." In America, or in, it happens, doesn't happen in America, happens in Africa in the bush where nobody happened to be there that day, where that guy was raised from the dead or whatever. Well, um, but it doesn't happen in America or it doesn't happen in Canada because you all lack faith. But look at, look at, um, let's go to 1 Corinthians 12 first. Um, 1 Corinthians 12. Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to read the whole section here. Let's start at, just, we'll start at verse 4. Paul says, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge and according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings or healing by the, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the other thing that I would want to kind of say about the, these works of the Spirit is that these were given to the people according to the will of the Holy Spirit. Um, even if we go back to verse 9, even faith was one of the things given by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't up to the apostles to have enough faith to have those gifts of the Spirit. The Lord gave those to the people that he wanted to have them. And this, the will of the Holy Spirit is more powerful than, than my lack of faith. So if the Lord wanted me to speak in tongues or to do miracles of healing... I would just be able to do those miracles and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to like learn about it in some seminar or something. It would just, it would just happen supernaturally by the power of the Spirit. And I don't know if you caught it before, but it, it, Hebrews chapter two, it's the, the same thing there that we saw right at the end of that section. Uh, Hebrews two and verse four, uh, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the, the will of the Holy Spirit gave those gifts to who he wanted to have those gifts. And, um, and so, but again, if you, if you look at the gifts and what they are and you define them biblically, and then you look at what's happening today, it's not biblical. And I, and, and I would just say this, we don't want any unbiblical, half-baked spiritual gifts to be happening around here. And, and, and honestly, it, it's, it's, a, it's almost a total waste of time that people just get distracted with doing yabba-dabba-doo, and it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. So, um, so that's kind of the argument number two. Look at the nature of the gifts, compare them with what's happening today, and you can clearly see that the spiritual gifts ceased, and if the, if the Holy Spirit wanted them to be happening, 
he would be able to do it because his will is stronger than mine. I think a, a third argument that I, I think is helpful is just to, to recognize that the gift of apostleship ceased. So who did the apostles appoint in the churches to kind of lead and shepherd the churches after, um, after them? Yeah, right? Elders were assigned. And so you, you never see in the New Testament that, that, um, that there's any apostles after, after the apostle Paul. And in fact, in, in, go to 1 Corinthians 15. Hey, Reese, can you get me some water, please? Can you just go and fill this up? Okay, where we're in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, For I delivered, he said, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. You probably need to know that. I delivered to you first, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So Paul says that he was the last one to whom the Lord appeared. And I should have got this verse, but I didn't look it up. But there's a verse where Paul says that in order to be an apostle, you actually have to have seen the risen Lord. So Paul says he's the last of the apostles. He was the last one to see the Lord. And... um And so we don't see any others, uh, any other apostles assigned after that. Thank you. Um, so, so we see elders then being being kind of put in the churches instead of apostles. Yeah, I think that's exactly the place that I was thinking of. Thank you for that. So Acts chapter 1, um, and uh, let's just see where they replace. They're going to replace Judas. <clears throat> Peter stands up around verse 16 and uh, talks about Judas. Well, he says there, so one of the men whom, who have accompanied us during all the time that our Lord went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up, one of these men must become uh, with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. I think there's another verse that actually more expl- even more explicitly says that, um, that, that you had to have seen the, the Lord. Um, but I don't think it's 1 Corinthians 9. Let me just check 1 Corinthians 9. Yeah, there, so 1 Corinthians 9, 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Um, Anyhow, there's the the gift of apostle included all of the spiritual gifts, and that that gift ceased with the apostles, and that office as well also ceased, and now there's a new office in the church, 
the elders. And if you open the door to there being apostles today, what you end up opening the door to is a, an open canon of scripture where there's still people who, um, who are, who are able to prophesy and write scripture and tell us God's word, tell us what God tells us to do and everything. Um, and it, it opens all kinds of trouble. Uh, and that kind of leads then into my fourth argument for the cessation of the gifts. And that's just church history. And I think this is, this is probably surprising for people. But in the, in the days after the apostles, in the ver- like the very earliest recordings of the, the writings of the church, because other people wrote letters to the churches after the apostles, but they just weren't regarded as scripture. Um, those men, those, those kind of successors of the apostles, Polycarp, Ignatius were kind of the first early two. They were disciples of John. Um, Irenaeus after them, those guys all said that and, and recognized that there was something special about the apostles and they were just merely normal men. And so they would say things like, I'm not an apostle. I can't tell you what to do. Um, all I can tell you is what the scripture says. They would, they would, there's quotes like that. And so nobody from, from like 100 AD after John died, until like 1960 ever claimed to be an apostle. Um, maybe it's a little bit earlier than that, 1940. The, there, were, there were a few um, crazy groups in early church history. One of them is the Montanists. The Montanists um, had female prophets who, who spoke the word of the Lord, um, supposedly, um, the Montanists had all kinds of crazy beliefs that weren't orthodox, like clearly unbiblical beliefs. And, uh, they had these female prophetesses, um, that, that claimed to speak the word of the Lord, but obviously everything they spoke wasn't lined up with scripture. And they claimed to have done signs and wonders and miracles. But these are like, kind of like really, really fringe groups in, in like the true sense of the word fringe. Um, these, 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 these people were clearly unorthodox in their views, but for the most part of church history, nobody claimed to be an apostle. Luther didn't claim to be an apostle. Calvin didn't claim to be an apostle. None of these guys claimed to be apostles. None of them claimed to do miracles either. They recognized that those things had ceased and they, they wrote about it as well. Um, in fact, the first time in church history where, where this kind of charismatic movement started was in 1901 in a, in like a liberal church, some guy, Charles Parham, started teaching his congregation that they should expect a, a supernatural wave of the Holy Spirit that would come upon them and, and get them to, to speak in tongues just like the apostles. So between 100 AD and 1901 AD, there's nobody who says they do miracles, nobody who says they do tongues, nobody who says they are prophets. But in 1901, Charles Parham starts to teach his group how to do this. And, um, and, and, and he, you know, if you're just, you're just kind of under that kind of teaching, like you're, you're getting kind of worked up, you're expecting to speak in tongues. Well, all of a sudden, Agnes Osman, um, started had some kind of like ecstatic experience and she started writing in Chinese and, and they claimed this was some huge miracle. Now you can go on the internet and you can look up Agnes Osman and you can look up the miraculous Chinese that she wrote. And I bet you everyone, even the kids here would look at that and say, that's not Chinese. That's like, you know, like I'm looking at Aiden or Hannah or, um, you, you kids could write, Kyron, you could write better than that, Chinese. So, um, anyway, that's, look it up, look at the kind of scratchy writing of Agnes Osman. That was the first kind of opening of the charismatic movement. And then, um, and I, I'm gonna get my times mixed up. It kind of, it, it started to spread through the more liberal denominations early on. And then there was what they called the second wave. And it, um, and again, my dates are wrong. Um, it became the, the Pentecostal movement and it was kind of more reserved to the, 
the Pentecostals and these liberal groups. And then about 1940 or 1960 is when the third wave happened and it started coming into the mainline churches. But before that, there was no charismatic stuff in any of these churches. Before, um, before 1960, it wasn't even in the mainline churches. So church history as well kind of tells us that these gifts have ceased. And then when we look at what actually started to come in in 1960, we realize that wasn't biblical, that wasn't helpful, um, that wasn't the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of my argument for cessationism. Um, now, I should go back because I didn't, I didn't do a very good job on number three. If, if we can say that the, the, the office and the gift of an apostle has ceased, then, then I think we can easily say, why not other things? If, if the, if the biggest gift ceased of apostles and everyone, pretty much everyone agrees on that, then why wouldn't we say that these other gifts have ceased? Um, and then the other thing I should just say on here is, I, I do believe that, that God can and maybe even does heal still. Like if somebody's sick and hurting or whatever, I would still pray for them. And I think God might and could heal them. What I, what I think has ceased is the gift of healing, where somebody has a supernatural gift that, that they're like healing multiple kinds of people. Um, so yeah, any, any kind of follow-up questions on, on that? Sure, yeah, I think so. We'll see how the first one goes. Yeah. 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 So Phil wants me to like dig into the, the what's going on with those false prophets in uh, in Moses's day and tell you if they really turned a, a staff into a snake or water into blood or whatever the other things they did and um I have I have no idea. I I it seems like it's presented like they really were able to do those things and it was just some kind of um I think it's just some kind of like trick of like obviously snakes sticks don't turn into snakes just normally right so i don't i don't know what they were doing um there you know there are demonic fake signs and wonders that that do happen um but i have no idea but the, but um that's helpful because actually for this reason because if you just think about when the when did miracles happen in the Bible? Well, the miracles happened at creation, and then we don't read of any miracles. Sounds like Noah built that boat just kind of the way normal people build big boats um, over a long period of time. Um, miracles happened first with Moses, right, who, um, although there might have been a little tiny thing or two with Abraham, but not, not really anything super miraculous happened. The baby was born, but... But Moses is where we first see this, this big influx of miracles and, and, and signs and wonders happening. And of course, if you think about it, those miracles authenticated Moses as God's messenger and Moses wrote scripture. And then once that, that scripture, the, the five books of Moses were written and then Joshua's books were kind of added to that. Um, we don't see very many miracles. Some of the judges did some kind of semi-miraculous things, but there's not a whole lot of miracles. Um, all through the judges' time a- until the time of the kings, Samuel does some miracles as the first prophet, and then Elisha and Elijah do a whole bunch of miracles. And they're the, they're, they're kind of like the forerunners of the prophets. And as the prophets, then they wrote more scripture that is then added to the canon. Um, and, and even the latter prophets, like, like Isaiah and Ezekiel and the minor prophets, most of them didn't do a whole lot of miracles either. They, but they did record the word of God and they did prophesy and, and kind of prove that they were like valid spokespeople for God by the, the miracles that they did. 
But then after the time of the prophets, there's not really any miracles that happen all that time. And in fact, there's even that 400 years of silence where really nothing happens. No scriptures are written. Nothing happens. And then in the New Testament time, when Jesus comes, now again, we see a bunch of miracles. And, and of course, we read those really quick. We're, like we're talking about hundreds and thousands of years in between these time frames that we're talking about. But anyways, Jesus and the apostles do a bunch of miracles. They also write scripture. Those miracles also authenticated them as God's messengers. And then after those, those are done and we have the word again, we're kind of in that, that time period where not a lot of miracles are happening again. Um, I don't need anyone to authenticate me. I don't need to do a special miracle to show you that I'm God's spokesman. You can just tell if I preach and teach from the Bible or not. So um, anyways, thanks for that question because that was something else I wanted to say. And what was your second question? Yeah. But there's also speaking with knowledge. Yeah. Um why are there some lists there? Some some people would say that some of those gifts are still happening today. Some of those non-supernatural-ish gifts like faith and and maybe teaching or something like that. Um, I think word of wisdom and knowledge probably is closely tied to prophecy. So there was some, I think there was something where those were like prophetic gifts. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that there's, there are, I, you know, I think that scripture still does teach that we all have a gift or gifts that we're supposed to use for the Lord. And I kind of tie those into our, our talents and abilities that God maybe naturally gave us, but maybe he does even give us something a little bit, um, special, but I, I don't know. And I, I don't put too much weight on that. I just feel like the best way to, is just to kind of see what you're good at and what you enjoy doing and just serve the Lord in those ways. Um, like I, like I don't know if I have a spiritual gift of teaching or if if I just like teaching or you know I I don't know so um, that's kind of my best answer at that I I don't really have that all figured out but I think a lot of those like the gift of faith um, I don't I don't know that like what would that have been used for I think like moving mountains or something like that. I don't know if, if that gift is still here either today. So I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about that. We all do have faith though. And right. We all, um, a lot of those things like administration was a gift earlier in, in first Corinthians 12. Does somebody have the spiritual gift of administration or are they just kind of organized? I, I don't, I don't have the answer on that, but good question. Any other questions about about spiritual gifts cessation? Anyone anyone brave enough to be like I'm not I'm still a, a little bit not sure and I I think the gifts might have continued. Does anyone like what do Mennonites believe about spiritual gifts? John 14:12 Yeah, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And then the next verse, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do. You know, I, I'll just I'll just start by saying I, I don't I don't know that I've I've studied this verse enough to really know exactly what I think this means. Um, if you think about the works that the the like if you if you want to take this to be the miraculous works that Jesus did, um, 
you know, do we, I don't even know if we would say that, that Paul or Peter did greater works in that sense. Um, so I, I think we, this, this verse is, is probably, um, to be understood something like the, that, that the, because Jesus is going to the Father, there's, there's going to be like a, a, a broader, greater work that happens on the earth than what happens in Jesus's time. But, um, but I feel like I'd have to really study that to give a, a better answer. And I'm not, I'm not like super pleased with my answer, but that's what, that's what kind of comes to my mind right now. Um, yeah, sorry about that, but I just, I, I, I don't know that I can do can do much better than that. Yeah. So Peter said, or uh, Peter said, Kevin says that um, day of Pentecost, three thousand people get saved, cut to the heart, and uh, and 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 come to salvation, and and something like that had never been done in Jesus' day. So maybe, and that's obviously the work of the Holy Spirit, who's now come, and so the Spirit comes, and and greater works, more more greater works of salvation are happening, um, and of course, there's this this plural you who are now asking things in Jesus name and the father's answering prayers and it's kind of ex- extending over the world i think i think that would probably be a good interpretation of that but I, I do think it is difficult to say that that peter did greater works than jesus although there's a, a verse about peter too where even his shadow would heal everyone and they'd lay people out on the street so maybe somebody would want to say that's greater paul's paul's handkerchief miracles was greater um but I, I think I think I would want to kind of keep that along the realms of salvation. But I, but again, I'd have to study that more. Anything else? Any other questions about that? I didn't bring my phone. I did get one other question um, that came in uh, today, and. Um, and I think I need your guys' help with this one a little bit. It was, it was something like, uh, the, I think, I think the, the, the thing that I said in the sermon today about indifference kind of struck a chord. And this, this person was saying that they, they feel like they struggle with indifference, but also when they're, when they're with certain members of their family, which I, I would take to kind of be like more, traditional Mennonite people in their family, those people don't want to talk about scripture. Um, they, they don't want to talk about anything spiritual. And, uh, and so this person says, I, I, I kind of just, um, keep my mouth shut. I, I just kind of keep quiet around them. And, uh, but I, I want to be a witness. How do I, how do I witness to these Mennonite people? And, um, I don't know that I have a, a great answer for that. I think there's a there's a time to be bold with people and to just tell them the gospel, um, even if they don't want to hear it. Just to can I can I please share with you the gospel? I think this is really really important. Um, I think there's two. There's there can be a time where when people are hostile and they don't want to listen and. Uh, and they're antagonistic to the gospel. I think there's times where, especially if they're family and friends, that you're going to have lots of opportunities to talk to. I think there's a time to kind of back off and just try to love them and 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 be kind to them and 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 show them Christ's love in in that kind of a way. Of course, I, I would say you should you need to first probably talk to them about the gospel and then maybe back off after that. Uh, I know my relationship with my mom is kind of like that. Like I'll. I'll talk to her about the gospel. She'll get really upset. I'll push it kind of to the point of, of where I think I better, okay, I, if I want to still have a mom, I better back off a little bit. And then, and then I don't talk to her for a while and I build that relationship back up again. And then, and then 
something happens where it's like, I gotta talk to my mom because she's, she's lost and doesn't know the Lord. And so I'll, I'll tell her a little bit more again and, uh, get her mad again. And then we'll, we'll kind of go through that cycle about five or six times in the last 10 years, I would say. Um, I don't, I think that's a little bit of a good strategy. Uh, but what, what about you guys? Have you, what are, what are your recommendations for, um, for talking to the old Mennonites that, that don't even want to, Talk about scripture. It's like, it's very uncomfortable for them. Whenever I think about that, I think about Phil on the bus when he was a little kid. Remember this story, Phil? You were on the bus and some kid came and like brought his Bible and like read the Bible to you and you were like, what is up? Like, what is wrong with this kid? (laughs) Right? How did that go exactly? Basically that. Yeah, Phil thought it was wrong for this kid to have his Bible and read it to him. So, yeah. Okay. Really? Anyone else like that? Anyone else kind of put up your hand if if somebody weirded you out the first time they shared the gospel with you? Just Phil. Phil, you're the only one that got weirded out. So maybe most of you didn't grow up uh, the same way as Phil. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyone have anyone want to share uh, anything that they think that's helpful to kind of sharing the gospel with Mennonite people? Talking about grace. Yeah. Okay, yeah, good. Talk about grace, opposite of works, kind of get them get into that. You know, some sometimes and I don't know if this would be helpful or not, but sometimes I think it's helpful and less confrontational if you ask questions of people. So ask them like, you know, how do you understand how salvation works? And then maybe they'll maybe they'll tell you something and then you could say, "Well, you know, could I tell you how I understand it?" And but again, if 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 I think if people are hard-hearted and don't want to talk about it, I, th- I think you just you do your best to try to open up a conversation, and then you just have to just pray that the Lord would allow them to hear the gospel. Um, you can't you can't um, you can't make somebody come to Christ, and and um, and you can't uh, change their heart so that they would want to talk about those things. So. Um, I, I, yeah.
Okay, that's good. Yeah, friendship, kind of evangelism, just being their friend, and then maybe they'll be able to talk to you and, and you'll have opportunities. Um, and hopefully over time, as those, uh, they'll, they'll even get to the point where they'll talk to you even though they think it's wrong. So, um, yeah. Anyway, interesting, uh, interesting culture that, that we're here, but those are the people that God wants us to reach, so good to think about. I wish I had better answers for that one. Well, I think we're a little bit early. I know that some of uh, the kids are excited about that. Maybe they can play a little bit longer, um, but uh, let's, uh, let's just end it then like that. Lord, thank you for our time together tonight, and um, thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I know we, we talked about how the, the gifts of the Spirit cease, but we thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit hasn't ceased and that you still work to convince people of sin and righteousness and judgment, that you still work in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. And uh, we pray that your Spirit would be powerful with us and that he would work through us to uh, bring people to salvation and, uh, and help us to uh, share your gospel Give us boldness and um, graciousness. Let our words be seasoned with salt, as you say in the, your word, Lord. And, um, and help us to uh, reach people with the gospel, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.